In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, when Jesus went to Jerusalem in his final week, there was a large crowd gathered there. And according to the Gospel of John, this crowd came because of an event that happened just a few days earlier, and that was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Jesus raised him from the dead a few or several days before Palm Sunday. And the entire town of Bethany was still buzzing about Lazarus. And they were just completely perplexed about what happened. This tells us that Lazarus was a fairly popular guy in the town of Bethany. And maybe he was well known outside of Bethany as well. And it's likely that a good number of those people went to his funeral. That those people were there when he died. So just imagine that here is Lazarus. He's well-known, well-liked by everyone. And that means that everyone had probably heard of his sickness and his health declining. And they knew that this man that was so well-liked and well-known, his days were running short. And a good number of people probably visited him in his final days to say goodbye to him, to say their farewell. Uh, They thanked him for everything he did. Uh, And then he died. And the whole town heard about his death. And then they saw his body on the bier. Remember, there are no caskets. There's just a wooden board, and the body is put on the board and processed out, carried out for everyone to see. There was no other affordable option, which means they all probably smelled his corpse as well. And they saw his own family weeping and mourning his death. And then they placed his lifeless corpse, his body, into a tomb. They walked it from the home all the way to the grave, to the tomb, and they put him there. And then about four days later, they see Lazarus again, walking around and talking, alive and well there in Bethany. I want you to imagine what that was like. Can you imagine what sort of emotions you would have had? Can you imagine seeing your father or your friend or a member of the church get really sick? One of our dear brothers who died in the past couple of years, Isri, Chuck, Everett, or Don Herzog. We all visit him. We say our goodbyes. We get the call that he's dead. We read his obituary. We have a funeral service here in the church for him. We all drive to the cemetery together. We put his body in the grave and mourn his death. And the next Sunday, he walks into church a little late and then takes a seat in the back. Um, We would be speechless. We wouldn't know how to act or react. I, I don't even know what I would feel in the moment. Maybe some fear or anxiety or... Joy, I I have no idea what it would be like. That was the very thing that the entire town of Bethany was feeling. Whatever you can imagine, that's what they were actually going through. It's a remarkable thing. And it is such a jarring miracle. It's something so uh, um, contrary to reason. Because so many people saw him dead, and then so many people saw him alive. 
And as you can imagine, news of this miracle made its way around. Everybody in Bethany knew it, even to Jerusalem, uh, which was only a few miles away from Bethany. The word traveled very, very quickly. And John chapter 11 tells us this. It says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them, what Jesus had done. So all the priests, all the scribes, all the Pharisees finally hear of the miracle. Really, the Pharisees not only heard of the miracle, but they were able to verify the miracle and talk to him himself and and see that it indeed was real, that it indeed happened. It's not like they could call it into question or, or, or say, this isn't really the guy, or you saw somebody else, or there's a twin or something. They saw exactly what they saw, and it was the whole town that was completely convinced of this. They couldn't negate what happened. Everyone was convinced of it. In fact, even the enemies and the opponents of Jesus were convinced of it. They acknowledged the the veracity and the authenticity of this miracle, that a man was dead and he resurrected from the dead. By the hand of the Lord, by the word of the Lord. Now, you would imagine that when the Pharisees see this, they would relent at last. You'd think they'd lay lay aside their excuses, uh, their anger, their opposition, and simply repent and trust their maker, their redeemer, the Lord in the flesh. But the scriptures say this. That when they verified it, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? Because this man, Jesus, performs many signs, that is miracles, wonders. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Let me put it into perspective for you. Lazarus is resurrected from the dead. And their first thought is, I wonder what the Romans will think about this. Lazarus is resurrected from the dead. And the first thing that comes to their mind is politics, their nation, their own positions and involvement in the government. A man, a man is raised from the dead and standing in front of them and they wonder, how is he going to vote? Right? What is this going to do to the election? What is this gonna, how is this going to persuade the crowds? What's it, what's it going to do to our economy? Jesus, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and that is what they're thinking about. That. This is not right. This is an obsession. In fact, this is a sickness. A disease. That's what happens right before his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. I've preached in the past on the actual event of the triumphal entry, so I'm not going to do that today. But I want to fast forward and now talk about what happened afterward. So the bookends of what's happening today. What happened before, you saw this, and then now what's happening afterward. Uh, Luke tells us Jesus looks over the city. There's a, a point Um, where uh, there's a hill and then the whole city kind of breaks before you. And Jesus sees all of Jerusalem 
And then it says after his triumphal entry, he weeps. And it's not that Jesus has teary eyes and just a few tears and cries silently to himself. The Greek word here is the word for lament, meaning it is a deep wailing. Picture Jesus doing that. He's deeply wailing, sobbing with tears, streaming down his face with pain in his chest, that sort of thing. And then, then he says why he's mourning this way. He says this, uh, that Jerusalem will be destroyed. That's not the worst part, though. He then says, would that you, even you, all Jerusalem, had known for the things this day that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. And then at the end, he says, you did not know the time of your visitation. Who is he talking about here? He's talking about those who saw Jesus perform this sign that he has come to conquer and defeat death and their minds are elsewhere. They did not hear his word and Jesus weeps over them that they're lost forever. He's not angry. He's sobbing. He's wailing because they're, no, they're not his. They rejected him. This is, this is heartbreaking. Jesus goes to Jerusalem and they didn't recognize him. John chapter one, the gospel begins. It says this, he was in the world. The Lord was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people received him not. He raised a man from the dead and they were busy thinking about something else, something apparently much more important than that. Uh, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, the promised seed, the Messiah, walked among them, and they weren't paying attention. What I'm getting at today is this. The devil wants you to find anything, anything else, more important than Jesus, regardless of what it may be. I don't want you to think that I'm just singling out politics today. This distraction is, and this sickness goes for all things. The the devil doesn't have to get you to just outright reject Jesus. He needs you to think that he's just simply not as important or worthy of your attention as something else. Whatever the, fill in the blank, whatever that is. He doesn't have to get you to say, well, Jesus isn't Christ. I just have to say, well, this is much more important than he is. What I'm doing is much more important than this forgiveness or what he came to do. There's a fierce competition for your attention and your devotion. Every day, every, every week, there's a competition for the social media, the news, your phone. This entire world wants your attention. They, they want your mind to think about what they say, to to be focused on those things. That's what they want because you're easier to control that way. Christians have gathered and worshiped God every Sunday for 20 centuries. For 2,000 years, they've done this on Sunday. And now work and leisure try to rip that away and take that away from you. Week after week, the Lord himself visits us here with his body and his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And still parents are out there sacrificing their children on the high altar of youth sports. The God of heaven 
and earth, deigned himself, condescended himself to come be with you today, to speak peace into your heart. And people won't be bothered to cross the streets to hear it. And even when you make it here, even when you're here, the attack is still going on. Christ, the highest treasure of heaven, comes to dwell with us and we are busy. We get distracted and think, which theme park am I going to go to today? How long will the wait at the restaurant be now? How, how long is this sermon going to take? How long will this sermon be? How many verses are we going to sing this time? These are the things that plague our minds, even. While God hands over his dear son to the hands of sinful men to be tortured and crucified, his only son to be tortured and crucified, while the preaching of his cross comes straight from the pulpit into your ears, some are just not listening to it. They're not paying attention. And I admit that, that I myself that there are Sundays, there are days that I am distracted, that I have daydreamed, just gone through the motions, not paid attention to what even I am saying. Days where my mind was elsewhere, thinking of finances, worried about bills or projects or loneliness or a situation or the country or a war, whatever, whatever it is. This is Holy Week. This is Holy Week. This is the holiest week of the Christian year. This is the week we meditate, we pause, we stop everything, and we meditate on all of the things Jesus did this final week of his life. From his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, to Maundy Thursday, to Good Friday, to his rest in the tomb, to his resurrection. All of it, we consider that one week that is central to all of human history, central to the universe. We just stop and say, let me, let me consider this. So if there's a week to pay attention, it's right now. If there's a time to shut off your TV and the news and just put away your phone, it's now. The news and the parks and the sports, the teams, they're going to be there next week like nothing happened. But this is the day of our Lord's visitation. This is the week that we meditate upon that. Every year we see droves of people on Easter morning. And that's good. That's, it's better than not coming. Keep that in mind. Next Sunday, that means you're going to have a very, very difficult time parking. So you get here early. <laughs> uh, get here earlier. Because a lot of people who are not here right now will probably show up next Sunday. But what about Good Friday? Hardly anyone shows up. Hardly anyone is there to hear of the Lord's bitter suffering and death, to to see him sweating drops of blood just at the thought, bursted capillaries at the thought of what is going to happen to him. And where are they? What in the world is more important and pressing? The only reason to not be there is if you physically cannot be, if there's an emergency. And I know it's true for some, I I know that some of you have had emergencies on Good Friday and have lamented not being able to go. But I really don't think that the majority of all people have an emergency at the same time every year on Good Friday. 
I don't think that's the case. The reality is that they're simply spending time somewhere else or busy paying attention to anything else. So, repent. Because it is a sin to devote yourself to anything else more than to the Lord your God. This is the day of the Lord's visitation, the day, and today is the day of salvation. When the Son of God took on flesh, he put nothing before you. When it came to save you, he didn't count the cost. He just gave everything he had to the last drop and ounce of, of, of blood in his body. If you have not been paying attention, then pay attention now. The reason God tells you to pay attention to him is not just to fulfill some duty or obligation or to check something off of a list. The reason he tells you to pay attention is so that you would hear how he paid attention to you, how he devotes himself to you, how he gives his life and his limb for you, how he breathes his last for you. He devoted all of his time, all of his attention, all of his heart, his soul, his strength, his mind, every fiber of his being to redeeming you, to wiping away every single sin that you have ever sinned, that you sin now, that you will sin, that he covers it in a flood of his blood and he erases it from the memory of the Father. Dear saints, he knows, the Lord knows of all the times you haven't paid attention as we should. And we're all guilty of this. He knows of all the times you've been distracted and all the times you've spent more time in this world than with him. But the Lord not only knows it, he forgives it. He doesn't hold it against you. Your salvation does not depend upon your devotion or dedication to him, but upon his devotion and dedication to you. And if you want to see how devoted your God is to you, you look at the cross and you see what he did for you. And that is what he wants you to pay attention to and hear this day. This is why he's come to visit you. He wants you to know, to be aware and pay attention to the time of his visitation. You don't know if you'll get tomorrow. This could be your last Sunday. This could be your last day. You may not make it to Good Friday. You may not make it to Easter. Pay attention now and hear that the same Lord who created you is the one who redeemed you who wipes away all your sins and gives you salvation. He wants you to know you have the peace of sin forgiven so that when today the service ends, you can sing, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace. And your life is fulfilled because his word is fulfilled. And we will continue to pay attention to this word, not only in this life, but in the life to come. When the Lord on the last day will do to us what he did to Lazarus. When he calls us out of our graves to stand before him and crown us with eternal life. So dear saints, may God bless you this Palm Sunday as you hear of your king who comes to you. May God open your heart to pay attention to Christ who gave himself for you. And may he keep you in the faith until that final day when he raises you from the dead just as he is raised. Amen.
The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.